Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Well, it's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the show where I invite a guest over to my apartment to watch any TV show they choose, and we talk about it and a bunch of other crap. Uh, My guest today is Michael Delaney, who is from the legendary improv group The Swarm and The Stepfathers, and uh, was in movies such as The Other Guys, and was on Will Ferrell's one-man show, which I saw you on, on Broadway. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me. I'm going to call you Delaney, though. Yeah, that's what people call me. Exactly. Can um, I ask a question before sure. we start? Yes. Is that you singing on the theme? Is that me singing? No, it's not. It's but the... it sounds like you. Really? Yeah. It's uh, that episode. I, um, I've never really talked about the intro, but it's... Uh, actually, my fiancé wrote the lyrics, uh-huh. um, and then I sent it to this guy named David Nagler. I don't know if the last name is pronounced right, but he did a great job. He did a great job. I uh, I think I always think that the main character in a show sung the theme song. <laughs> now, the Brady Bunch may have sung their theme song. That would make sense. But I thought Three's Company theme was sung for sure by John Ritter. Come and knock on our door. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little low. Lower no, red. Not, that's not his. You know his range so well. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> he's tell you the notes, I but think. He's, I think he's uh, like two pitches higher. Uh huh. Um, two octaves higher? No, no, not two. He'd be, <laughs> yeah. be he'd be an alto. Um, it's two pitches, two baseball pitches higher. In my mind, it's always the main character. This. So, who would be on Cheers? Who would be the who would be the person singing that song? That's such a wimpy little voice. I think that one's the exception. He's like. You want to know where everything's cool? He's like, this really... <laughs> you want to know where everything's cool? Not a lyric. Definitely. It's, it's a lyric. It's not the Cheers lyric. But I feel like I invoked the spirit of that. I don't know. He, 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 yeah, if anybody on Cheers had that voice, gosh, it would have to be... Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley. So <laughs> they brought her in to sing the theme song, and then they brought her on as a cast member a couple of seasons later because <laughs> she did such a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, who should we replace Diane with? Oh, what about that woman who's... The girl who's, that sang the theme. <laughs> she sang the theme song, but like in a dude's voice. <laughs> um, no, nobody fits that voice. <clears throat> um, so welcome, Delaney, um, to my apartment. Thank you for coming. It's a lovely apartment. It's so clean and shiny. Thank you so much. Um, my mom, who's listening, will be happy that you said that. Yep. Um, so why don't you? Uh, what what show did you? What TV show did you decide to watch today? I brought the SCTV Christmas episode from 1981. Great. So I'm excited to see this. I. Of course, as many comedy fans are, are, is I'm aware of SCTV. I've seen like clips online, mm-hmm. but I, it wasn't when I was a kid. It wasn't something that really aired, or I didn't have like as much access to it. But you are a big fan of the show. I'm a huge fan of the show. In fact, it's my favorite show. But you know, even when the show was on, it was one of those shows that was really hard to see. Mm-hmm. You had to play catch up. Uh, it was on at first when it was on syndication. It was on at very odd hours. I know in the New York area, they used to play it at 1 a.m. on the local affiliate 
which happened to be the, the time slot right after SNL. Mm-hmm. So I think they knew if people were still up, they could switch over and see some other weird or less popular sketch. And um, But when they were on NBC, which this particular show is from, it's from the 81-82 season on NBC, which uh, was a 90-minute show, which started at 12.30 p.m. on Friday. And they love to do callbacks and runners and stories. So, and... Um, <clears throat> Unlike a lot of shows that use runners, they they would actually get funnier. A lot of them got funnier mm-hmm. as they as they progressed. They would start off kind of weird sometimes, and then there would be the, so the payoff wouldn't come until ten till two, right? And one fifty in the morning is a, a long time. To yeah, wait that's for a the, lot to invest pay- into. <laughs> it really is. And when they got uh, um, when they got on NBC. They didn't want 90 minutes. They wanted 60, and they didn't want musical guests. But the executives just had the SNL paradigm so firm in their brains, and the, the business hadn't kind of broken out of that variety show right. format. So that, that's what they were given. I don't think there's a musical guest in this show. Which this is, So this is the Christmas. And for somebody who doesn't know much about the show, they might know or might not know that it, this is a show that was started in Second City in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it started in the late seventies. Yes, correct. Mid nineteen seventy six. And um, and this, I think that the second city that this was came out of, like a lot of people who were in that second city were in the original cast of SNL. Like, wasn't Gilda Radner um, from that like sort of group of SC, uh, second city people? They were from the same crowd. <clears throat> the Toronto crowd back then was, <clears throat> yep, Dan Aykroyd, Gilda Radner, John Candy. Um, Joe Flaherty, Dave Thomas, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy. I think Joe Flaherty and Harold Ramis moved from Chicago to Toronto. Um, but yeah, it was that same crowd. Right. And and Second City just got was like, well, they keep pulling all our people to be on SNL. We better jump on it and get our own show going. Yeah. So they did start in 76 with John Candy, Joe Flaherty, Eugene Levy, Andrea Martin, Catherine O'Hara, and... Dave Thomas and Harold Ramis. Ramis stayed on for a season or two. Then they, then the show went through some weird times. They had three. Their first three seasons were twenty six shows each, which is a lot. That's 26, a lot. 24 minute shows because they were on the Canadian schedule. Right. <clears throat> then, um, actually, they had their first two seasons, and then the show just went away. Yeah, so when I was reading up, there was like a year gap or something where there just wasn't a show. There was no 79-80 season. But then this man, Dr. Allard, who was a surgeon and surgeon, millionaire surgeon, Canadian, saved the show. That sounds like something that could only happen in Canada. Definitely. And he just decided, I'm backing the show. But in order to – he had it because he had his own TV station slash studio called ITV in Edmonton, which is way up there. Way up there, where no one wants to be. Right. So they had to shoot season three in Edmonton. The cast was falling apart. John Candy went off to do stuff. Catherine O'Hara went off to do stuff. They brought in Tony Rosado, Robin Duke, and Rick Moranis. And Rick Moranis ended up being a real shot in the arm for a show, for the show. He was so creative. He just brought so much energy and, and life to the show. Then after that season, they started getting popular again in syndication. And the production values are starting to get better. The first two seasons is just woeful. 
The, the comedy is good, but it's weird. The makeup is terrible. The sets are all funky. Uh-huh. They just had local sports guys doing all their comedy sets. I remember some story Gene Levy said when they first showed up to shoot, the walls were painted purple because the guys thought that would be funny. <laughs> they're like, just let us do the, just give us a. <laughs> just put a wall up. <laughs> just give us a wall. Put the paint away. <laughs> Purple is, though, a very funny it's color. It's the funniest of colors. <laughs> yeah. So their heart was in the right place. Yeah, there's the purple nurple, there's a purple people mm-hmm. eater. That's funny. So after that 80, 81 season, the show started to take off. They got this deal with NBC. And then John Candy and Catherine O'Hara came back. So the cast on this show, I call my in my own mind, I call them the Magnificent Seven. Wow! Because they were only together for one full season, and it was John Candy, Joe Flaherty, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas. Was that seven? I, I think that's I, I sort of zoned out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wasn't. I don't we'll know. If dry it's... history of comedy shows. <laughs> will will? Oh, I, I haven't been listening the last ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the dry account of the show. So, wait, so so this is like your dream team uh, of the show, and then why specifically yeah. the Christmas? Is it just the Christmas feelings in the air, or this was a specifically? Um, I do love final. this Christmas episode. It's one of my favorite SCTV episodes. But uh, what I, I decided that this was, I just assumed this was the Christmas episode uh-huh. of. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. That episode. Well, oh, yeah. No. This, so yeah. So now officially, you just named this the Christmas episode. This is it. the Christmas episode. I felt compelled to bring a Christmas show. And I'll just say this too. I think it's also maybe the Hanukkah episode. There's a Hanukkah <laughs> bit in there. No, it's the next year. All right. So the this eighty-two is... <laughs> Christmas show has a Hanukkah scene. So this is not the Hanukkah episode of it's that episode that will be coming out next year. Yeah, when I do this, when, when I do next back. year's Christmas show, we'll do SCTV. <laughs> the next year's one. Christmas 82. And we'll focus on just the Hanukkah sketch. I'd like that. That'd be nice. That'll be a little special. Uh, so now, what's your orientation to Christmas? My orientation to it? Yeah. I've never celebrated Christmas. I, um, I f- feel like it's a very festive thing, and I enjoy that people get excited about it, but I don't like... The music that you enjoy that other people are excited about it. Yeah, like that makes me happy. Do you get caught up in the excitement? No, no, I don't like. I'm not like a big gift person, and uh, I like like things about it. Like I like seeing those guys selling street uh, selling trees on the streets. Like that's a nice. Why would you like that? I don't know. It's just like a like that's like a. I don't know. There's something cool about like that. They're just industrious people like just with a bunch of trees on a sidewalk i think that's like like fun in some way they are some of the most downtrodden people there are is christmas trees. oh i just like laughing at them no No, i I don't think we should mock them no 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 i would never cross a christmas tree salesman i swear to god they're terrifying there's something that feels like old school to me about it that it's like this feels like this hasn't probably changed in a in a long time i don't think so they're desperate transient people right who (laughs) Just there's this once a year opportunity for money, and they're like, "Yes, fine, we'll take it. Whatever you've got, whatever, you, whatever trash you have, <laughs> sell it on the street." Much. Uh, I would think, as a um, uh, non-gentile, uh-huh. you might... <laughs> a non-gentile. I'm not comfortable saying Jew. I can't Jew. look someone in the eye and say, "Well, you're, you're a Jew." Jew. <laughs> I would think you'd think that they like clutter up the streets and no, old ladies slip on the pine needles. No, oh, I don't mind that at I, all. No, don't get me wrong. I don't think that, that the non-Gentile people have a have like a Scrooge-like attitude towards Christmas. No, but it, it, the, I'd say that's that your reaction of what you think non-Gentiles think of those people. I think that's what how I think of like 
Christmas music in a store. You know, like I just don't like that it starts so early. It like starts earlier every year. Gentiles don't like Christmas music. But then in a why store. is it there? That's what I'm saying. Like somebody because has to America's stop it. gone fucking crazy. <laughs> It started after the day after Halloween. Yeah, it's it's not. It's just like it's, and I know this is like an old trodden thing. Very but it's, very trodden. But it's so fr- It's just like just stop. Just please stop. Just stop. and the people you know the people that are working there must be going nuts. Like I was in a oh store, and the people who were working at the store were even saying like, oh, like something about like chestnuts on the open fire. Like basically saying they're going to be going insane for the next like month. Well, that style of music, that Christmas music came from the sort of croony style. Yes, like 50s sort of And like... the crooner is dead, but for some reason Christmas music has been like hermetically sealed in that genre. Yeah, it's basically like the Three's Company theme song. It's like, come and knock on our door. Come and buy our tree. <laughs> we... That's <laughs> totally what it is. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of myself for that one. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> So Christmas sucks. Christmas sucks. So that being said, we're going to check out the SC. You're not going to get any of this because you don't have the power to enjoy Christmas. You know what I'm going to say is I'm going to be a Grinch at the beginning of the episode. And by the yeah. end, they'll teach me how to learn to love everybody. Well, there is a Christmas miracle in this episode. I'm not being facetious. And I think you may be converted. Okay. Well, we'll see. I am a non-Gentile now. And let's see how I am. Maybe it's only through the, through the miracle and mystery of comedy. Can a Craig Rowan be won over to the Christmas spirit? Hey, I've seen the movie Scrooge and it hasn't worked yet, though I like that movie. Scrooge didn't fill your heart? I lo- oh, I, it filled my heart, but it didn't convert me. Did you cry at the end when Tiny Tim, I had non, t- I, non-white <laughs> Tiny Tim, says, I, God bless us everyone? I turned it off by then. What? No. I love them. It's a great movie. <laughs> I hate that song, though. Oh, which... Um, they put a little love in your heart. But a, oh, really? I could do without that. Okay. Well, the, I feel like they were in like at the end of... Uh, Ghostbusters 2, they did a song like that. They had like a higher and higher, you know. None of the people that made Ghostbusters 2 made Scrooge. I'm saying that Bill Murray in his contract had some some. I stand corrected. Uh, only the main character. Only, only the person who's the face of both movies. <laughs> just just Bill that. Bill Murray doesn't make movies. He shows up while people are making movies. That's totally, that's from, that's exactly what I hear. And I've heard that he, did he make an appearance or two on SCTV at some he point? He did. Well, they, all the SNL, the original SNL guys are always very supportive of SETV. Bill Murray did do a guest slot, uh, a guest appearance on SETV once. It was in the 82-83 season episode two. Wow. Um, he was the guest. I don't think there was a musical guest. I think it was just him. He, it was a great episode. He did Street Beef, and he did, a, uh, he did a cameo in the Days of the Week which was the final days of the week of that cycle. Which was the soap opera. It was. Right. Started out strong, got tired. But they had a lot of real estate to fill. It was a 90-minute show. I mean, uh, did they do like, something like the day, was it called the days of the week? Yes. Was that something that had started in the first season and like kept going through all the seasons? Lord, no. No, that started in the first NBC oh, season, okay. which was season four. Okay. Were there any things that just kept coming back through all the seasons? Yeah. Um... Yeah, if I thought about it, I could probably... 
they didn't have the approach of SNL. They were much more character-based. Right. So it wasn't like, we have this premise and we're going to do it again and again. They did, I mean, like they had a, a, a game show called The Halfwits, which they did three times. Right. That's probably the most. No, Mel's Rock Pile, they did many times. And there was the prototype of Mel's Rock Pile was called SCTV Disco. And that then transmogrified into Mel's Rock Pile, which they did do every season. And that's one of wow. my favorite all times. That's a good YouTuber, folks. Check it out. Mel's Rock Pile. Mel's Rock Pile. All right, let's watch some SCTV. Let's do it. Whoa, who's hosting this thing? Uh, you called it the Christmas episode. You're now the host. Thank you. Okay. All right, everyone, we're going to take a look at SCTV, and I will be back with my guest, Craig Rowan. Thank you for having me. Being a performer in this business of ours, we, we feel this warmth, this love, this fellowship all year round. But you people out there only experience this stuff at Christmas. I'll tell you, this Christmas, though, is going to be the best Christmas ever. I really believe that. I really do. He does. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay. All right, now, our first guests have just completed a uh, made-for-TV Christmas movie that's going to air this Christmas Eve on SCTV. Uh, he's a writer who brings uh, new meaning to the word prolific, and he's brought his wife along, too. Ladies and gentlemen, a big warm welcome for Neil Simon and his wife, Pamela Mason. It's Marsha. <laughs> Yeah, that's Sammy. <laughs> no, no, you called me Pamela. Oh, did I? Well, Neil, how you been? I've been very well, Sammy, very well. We just finished our latest project. It's, uh, it's a Christmas movie, something I always wanted to do. It's a story about a, a young writer who, uh, who writes a, a play for his wife and gives it to her as a Christmas present. <laughs> it was an uplifting experience, very much like Jane Russell's Cross Your Heart Bra. <laughs> Well, Doc, uh, you have a clip of that movie you're going to show us, right? Yes, I do, uh, Sammy. Uh, the, the name of the play is uh, Neil Simon's Nutcracker Suite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you laugh. Where were you on the Jane Russell line? <laughs> well, now look, that was funny. That was a funny title. A reminder that today's sponsor is audible.com. Uh, you can check out 10,000 over 10,000 titles of books. Uh, I searched today to see if they had um, Dave Thomas's book about SCTV because Delaney talks about it. They don't. But they do have Dave Mustaine's memoir, Mustaine, a heavy metal memoir. And I think that's pretty badass too. So if you want to listen to that, about hard rock conservatism and stuff like that, check it out. And be sure to go to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan, C-R-A-I-G-R-O-W-I-N, to get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial today. That's by signing up at audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And I have the Christmas spirit. (laughs) Did you get it? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was... um, no, I don't know if I was quite one over. There was a lot of Christmas stuff during the show. Um, you got to hand it to them for doing a true Christmas show. Was there anything in that show that wasn't Christmas related? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, nope, every one of them was a Christmas. I day. think every single thing. Well, yes. Yep. 
I think even the frankincense. Frankincense, which was a funny commercial sketch. Very short. Very short. Just a punny. Um, it was Frank Sinatra spewing out incense. Frankincense. Yes. Um, definitely the sh- one of the two short sketches in the show, as every other sketch was 15 to 20 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are long. They were like huge set pieces, really. I mean... It's funny because even when you look back at, I feel like, old SNL sketches mm-hmm. from the mid-70s, late 70s, some would go on for, like, seven, eight minutes. Yeah. But these were, like, epics. These were, like, sincerely... They're going to commercial and coming back more than once. In the Nutcracker Suite sketch, it yes. takes up three full network segments. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's a full TV show that was a... And it had a full segment that was a precursor yeah, with they the Sammy Maudlin show. There is a talk show, the Sammy Maudlin show, uh, and they bring Neil Simon on and his wife, and that's that's a solid sketch. That's five minutes long, and mm-hmm. then they intro the the next sketch is Neil Simon's new movie, starring Judd Hirsch. Neil Simon's Nutcracker Suite. Neil- well, he had at the time done California Suite and Hotel Suite, mm-hmm. and on the Maudlin show, they mock him for having. Done. Neil Simon's Nutcrackers. Actually, that that sketch definitely had my favorite joke, though, which was, was the. It? Um, it wasn't like super funny. The setup was just like subtle. It was that Neil Simon kept saying, um, "That's uplifting." Like, I forget who's Jane Russell. Jane Russell's uh, Cro- cross your heart bra. Cross your heart bra. So he made that joke, and nobody laughed. And then he did it again, and nobody laughed again. And he's really like, "What's going on? This is like killer material." <laughs> and then the next sketch, which is his his movie that he wrote ostensibly that he, that he wrote, the main character makes that joke like three times, and he gets huge laughs within the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like that, he just thinks it's so hilarious. Then they go one more, and he tries to float that joke to John Candy as Epi Epstein, who right. blasts him and says, "You don't know what's funny anymore." Right. It, it they are unrelenting about. With the people who they do impressions of, yeah, they they um the impressions are great. You were well, you were mention mentioning uh, the makeup guy that that sort of like that you said that nobody was really doing doing uh, uh, characters like that. I mean impressions like that before SCTV. That was nineteen eighty one. It was actually a woman, Bev Sheckman, that was the the key makeup person, and they just took great pains to get it just right. And she was she was absolutely masterful. No one at the time was doing no those kind of impressions. Well, SNL was still a live show, and it was live TV, but it still had this live feel. Everybody's kind of playing to the audience. Everybody's under the gun. You didn't you just didn't see those kind of crack impressions where they even would go so far as to making sure that the angle was just right. Mm-hmm. One time, Martin Short did Paul Anka on the Maudlin show, and and he only looked like Anka from one particular. Angle. Angle, so they just caught him from that angle, and he he said Marty said he tried a bunch of takes and only worked once, and they got it. That's crazy. Um, yeah, the Neil Simon impression was amazing. The um, the Judd uh, Hirsch was great. Judd Hirsch was right. That on. looked so good. Like it looked like you sort of forgot it wasn't Judd Hirsch. He was the taxi Judd Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I think ordinary people wasn't he the psychiatrist in Ordinary People? No, I, I have not seen. He was like he was like all oh, the tweed jacket and, mm-hmm. and the loosened tie. But Gene Levy had it. Even just the moles, the subtle yes. moles, everything. Dave Thomas's um, Michael Caine was spot on. My, f- I think my favorite moment from that show, the whole point of SCTV was making fun of show business. And um, 
There's a little bumper. John Candy plays Orson Welles in yes. the very first sketch, which is the Liberace Christmas special. Yeah. And um, But then they use him as a bumper way late in the show. And it's just Candy saying, I'm Orson Welles, on, uh, speaking for mankind. I wish you... <laughs> just to... Just to lay into Orson Welles for appointing himself the right. spokesman for all of mankind, to me, is a cl- just the quintessential SCTV moment. And there was that other line that you liked a lot from the Sammy Maudlin show that was about um, how uh, showbiz types feel heartwarmed, like, all the time. Sammy Maudlin tells the audience that in sh- when you're in, show- in showbiz, we feel this love, this warmth all year round. Well, you people at home only get it during Christmas. <laughs> it's so condescending. It's great. <clears throat> well, I have to assume, I mean, I feel like this isn't my original thought. I'm sure I read it somewhere. But that it definitely is very can- like a Canadian point of view. It's like, uh, you know, their view of as outsiders of what Hollywood is. I think so. I think that was part of it. And also these guys, the SCTV cast was shooting... Like I said, in Edmonton, so they're right. completely isolated, um, and I think that kind of shows somehow. Now I, so I've never seen the show. You've never seen I, I've seen clips, so I never. I don't feel like I've ever seen a full, a full episode. Full episode. So I'm tired. I, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I need a shot of adrenaline to the heart. Right now. <laughs> um, but it was really. I mean, there's really great stuff. But what I was going to ask about is like. They have a lot of – actually, it wasn't a lot of it, but some of the um, little bits in between were this behind-the-scenes type thing yes. where they sort of – you were saying shoehorned like a ton of character, characters in. Would you say that this Christmas special was a good like overall example of what that behind-the-scenes stuff felt like? I don't think so. I think that was probably – Probably the biggest clusterfuck they did. Yeah, because it seemed like they were mushing all these characters together. And I, as somebody who'd never seen any of the characters, or like maybe in passing I'd seen, I recognized one or two of them. But it was like, I don't even get like who these guys are to each other. They usually do, when they were doing those 90-minute shows, they usually had some kind of wraparound. So some running thing through the right. whole show that was broken up by their different TV shows and movies. They always have a movie of the week. They have all these different shows, commercials, etc. And then there's like a behind the scenes where you see the different characters from the station doing whatever. <laughs> Which would get a little sitcom-y sometimes. But um, yeah, so with that one, well, part of it was budget. I think they were out of money. Mm-hmm. I was reading in Dave Thomas's SCTV book that... Um, the producers were really, really high on them doing the Christmas party because it cost nothing. Right. They already had all the costumes. They already have their own studio. And um, there's, all, there's all that crane shot stuff. Yes. What did you make of that, having not known the show at all? Well, you sort of tipped it a little bit but because you said that this was a running thing. But in, in one of the sketches, the John Candy street beef He's a drunk, but he keeps on asking about this crane shot. So my John Candy's main. Let me just say, John Candy's main character on SCTV is Johnny Larue, who mm-hmm. is the alter ego of John Candy. He's he's the evil John Candy because uh-huh. John Candy was a beautiful, warm human being, but he also had a dark side, you know. And Johnny Larue is a character who, who, who's yeah, he's just an anti John Candy. People instinctively hate Larue everywhere he goes uh-huh. and treat him like garbage, and he treats people like yes. dirt in kind. Yes, and so he was. He he was 
treating people like crap. He's trying to do the segment. Nobody's outside. He's failing. And then he sort of he dies, basically. Or like he passes out on the sidewalk. He passes out in the snow. And his crew has left. So he would have died. Yes. If and, he just stayed there in the snow. And then there was a light, a shining light. The Christmas spirit, mm-hmm. I'd maybe say, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as a non-Gentile. You were feeling it at that moment, weren't I, you? It was this warmness. It was like as if I had like... A, like a hot cocoa in me or something like that mm-hmm. and um but like with eggnog spice or whatever to makes it more christian and um more christian yeah eggnog spice makes everything christian <laughs> and uh you could buy it in the supermarket just ask for the eggnog no they spice. know they know they know what they know what that I'm, you're a non-gentile i'm a non-gentile <laughs> they know it um so he he uh, the light wakes him up and and says that he the christmas that basically he's gotten his Christmas wish and they have a crane shot. And now I'm piecing it together from sort of some hints that you're saying is that they didn't have enough money for a crane in general. And that was something that they always wanted. Is that correct? Um, well, the, the, the way it played out was um, earlier in this earlier that year in one of the first cycles they did some movie. They did this movie of the week with John Candy as Johnny LaRue doing Polynesian Town. Okay. Which is a parody of Chinatown. Right. I think the whole sketch it was a long one. It was a good good <laughs> sixteen minute a forty five minute <laughs> it was, sketch. No, it was long. It was bloated because I think the whole sketch was conceived just as a, a, a conceit to use their musical guest who was Dr. John. Okay. So it's this really flimsy um, um, parody that they did, even though John Candy was wonderful in it. And John Candy, on his own, hired a Chapman crane. I think it's called a Chapman Nike crane or something. And he had it brought in. It was the only one in all of Western Canada. And it blew the budget of the show on this crane. Uh uh And so as a fan watching the show, I remember watching... Polynesian town and it was fine and then the the following episode after that almost the whole episode definitely the all the wraparound stuff is just is Guy Caballero telling Johnny LaRue that he almost single-handedly bankrupted SCTV with his crane shots and so as a viewer did you know that this was real like absolutely not okay not even one speck nowhere was there there a shred that thought it was real right so that whole episode is mostly john the wraparound is john candy as johnny larue just going around um trying to get his show together and that's where they conceive street beef where it's just him with one camera and one microphone Mm -hmm. no budget right and i think at the end of that episode there's actually a helicopter shot and <laughs> Guy Cavaliero becomes furious. But then when I read the SCTV book, it turns out, yes, John Candy did blow the budget That's on that so stupid funny. crane. But no one could be mad at him. But they had to then just find other means. So that became like a running joke. That's really funny. And then John McAndrew, the writer of that particular piece where Johnny LaRue's out in the snow by mm-hmm. himself, um, <clears throat> they shot it in the middle of the night in Edmonton. It was 40 below. It was freezing. Candy couldn't wear a coat, couldn't wear a hat, oh. never complained, sat in his trailer drinking cognac, um, uh, preparing. And um, everybody always talks about that great improvised speech that John Candy did in the snow. That was word for word from the script. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. They did a couple takes. John McAndrew said they you ended up using the first take. And it's one continuous yeah, take. Yeah, no, the whole thing. It's impressive because it is one take. Him running down the street, him coming back. It's all one that's take. That's Street Beef. Street Beef is always one camera, one microphone. There's no edits because there's only one camera. 
That's pretty amazing. Um, and it was, I guess it was almost morning by the time they were done with it. Everybody was dead on their feet and Candy was happy and drinking and smoking and doing his thing and a real pro. It's really crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the feel of this show feels very different from, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of monologue type stuff. There's a lot of, like that to camera. There mm-hmm. felt like a lot of things that were just like singular pieces that just like were, were let breathe. Like I, that they were just like. They've, there's plenty <laughs> of breathing room. <laughs> have at it. Just relax. That's the way it was. Yeah. It's, re- it's really refreshing. And I, I, the pacing is <clears throat> pretty crazy. Yes. And if you watch all those 90-minute shows, you will see other scenes that have un- incredibly well, I had watched, low tempo pacing. I had watched one gearing up for this that was uh, Played Again Bob, which is oh, Woody Allen getting Bob Hope to be in his movie, like Played Against Sam. That's a spoof of Played Against Sam, but instead of the Woody Allen character having um, uh, um, Bogey as his muse, as his imaginary muse, it's Bob Hope. Exactly. Um, but I, I was like, there was a... It's online on YouTube, and there's a part one and part two, and you're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like, the, it's no longer a sketch. Like I was talking to in a, in another episode, I had Arthur Meyer on, and we watched SNL, and we we're talking about the word <clears throat> sketch. That it's like sort of like, tuss, you know, like a rough little short thing. But yeah. like these aren't. I feel like they're not sketches. Like some of them are just like they're not quite sketches. They're like shows. Yeah. No. And that term sketch gets used in different art forms, too. Like if someone wrote a little piece of music for a party, mm-hmm. they'd say, oh, this is just a little sketch I right. did. Um, and I think there is an – yeah, there is something inferred in that word sketch that it's just a throwaway. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, the SCTV sketches were definitely meaty. Yes. Well, maybe that's not the right word. Pal- palpable? Um, no. I don't think that means elongated. Yes, elongated. <laughs> um, Dude, but at the time that was just it. That show SCTV was actually a fast-paced. It was like a zany, a laugh a furious laugh a minute show. At but the that's time. the other thing to me is like some of the I, I, you know I can't really because I I'm not like of the era, but like the Neil Simon stuff was that like on the pulse of what was happening, or is that like a little that feels like a little bit deeper than your average like. It was way deeper. SCTV was already making fun of stuff that was ten and twenty years old. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing all these old references. They were always doing send-ups of, like, The Man Who Would Be King and mm. all these and, and movies because they loved that stuff. Um, they did a Ocean's Eleven parody called Maudlin's Eleven. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Nobody knew well, Ocean's it, Eleven. This is the original Ocean's Eleven, which is a bad movie. Right, the Rat Pack. And it was a 50s movie. Yeah, they did, they, they did send-ups of 50 movies all the time. But SCTV didn't rely on, like... This business of, like, mapping something to parody it. Mm. They never did that. Their parodies were so original. And they did this other thing, which was a lot of mashups. Mm-hmm. They, it, um, sure, they would parody just one thing and kind of, like, you know, just throw, throw, try to throw a strike right down the middle. But with stuff like that Neil Simon's Nutcracker suite, it was a huge mashup. Yeah. I mean, it was – they're doing the Nutcracker and uh, the California – the hotel suite – and then no, no, had- Plaza Suite. Plaza Suite was the name in the movie, not Hotel okay. Suite. And then you got Richard Dreyfuss. You got some of the Goodbye Girl in there. You got a, a couple other references of Richard Dreyfuss movies. You got Michael Caine and Maggie Smith in there. So they did a lot of those. I mean, one of their best and earliest parodies, their first parody that took up an entire episode was a mashup between a Hope and Crosby road picture. The whole thing was Fantasy Island. 
But then within Fantasy Island, you had Wizard of Oz, you have Hope and Crosby, mm-hmm. and um, I think... I think there was one more. I don't recall. Well, there's part of that that when I was watching that um, the uh, Nutcracker Suite that I sort of, and I don't know if this is missing the mark, but I, it sort of felt like Mad Magazine to me. The way that Richard Dreyfuss's monologue was going, how it was mm-hmm. like very self-referential jokes mm-hmm. that were like within the style of a monologue from the movie, but then like punchy jokes about himself mm-hmm. felt like Mad Magazine. Like how you'd, I don't know. That's well, it. I can't take that away from you. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. It made me bristle just a second. <laughs> my old defensiveness of SCTV started to appear. Because everyone used to, um, my whole family would always told me, the show is stupid. Oh. Because I was no, obsessed. Oh, by the way, I love Mad, Mad Magazine. I love Mad Magazine, oh, okay. too. But their jokes and the parodies are always just calling out. Uh-huh. In a very bald way, just calling out whatever stupid thing yeah, that was about I, the yeah. movie. I don't think that's bad, though, but it's just like, it's just, I was like, oh, this feels like that style. That feels like... Yeah, you're right. A little bit. Yeah, I won. I won that argument. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it away from you. Um, See, I thought SCTV is a little more subtle than mad. Mm-hmm, Maybe mm-hmm. a little more artful. Wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so wait, why don't you for a minute take... I want to... Uh, we'll keep talking about the episode, but I do want to... Bring me back to that. What was what was your fandom like when you were actually watching this one? It was like oh, completely insane. Yeah, yeah. I remember having when I uh, I remember having to rent a VCR every week. Rent re- a VCR, yes, to record the show. When I, my family moved to Provincetown for six months for us to work in P-Town for a season. And uh, that was when SCTV was going into their sixth season in the 83-84 season, and they were on Cinemax, and I didn't have a VCR. So, yeah, I had to schlep to the video store, rent a damn VCR, which is pretty common at the time. Renting, I've never even... So few people had VCRs. Not enough people had VCRs that every video store, you could rent a VCR and the movies. They had little packages. Wow. So I had to rent the damn VCR to tape the shows. And then they didn't have Cinemax in Florida where I was living. So when we moved back to Florida, I had to get my friend Zach Goody to record the shows for me. I paid him to rent a VCR stocked him up with blank videotapes so he could record SCTV on Cinemax and send them to me in Florida. And of course, I still have those tapes. It it was a really unhealthy obsession. I mean, I'd been obsessed with comedy for a long time. It started with Monty Python when I was about eight. Well, no, I mean, it goes back to Sesame Street, really, Uh which was a straight-up sketch show and completely bonkers. I started watching Sesame Street, I think, season one or season two. It was very rough. The kind of... the, The plush... Um, uh, um, uh, uh, the the characters now are all kind of cleaned up. Yeah, like Grover's all plush, and when you look back at those originals, they're all nasty. Yeah, ratty. Well, they're real handmade. Like they're real. Like just the beginnings of the whole thing. And there was tons of drug references too. Really? Oh yeah. There was one sketch they did all the time where there's a dude, a shady dude in a trench coat and a hat. Ernie's walking down the street, and he would go, Psst, "Hey, bub, you want to buy?" An M, and he'd open his trench coat, and there we go. An M, shh, yeah, an M. <laughs> so it was like just full on drug deal scenes. Um, <laughs> so it started there. Then my brother turned me on to Monty Python, which is just like life changing. Then SNL came around. I was totally hooked on SNL. Everybody was on board there because I was in junior high school. So that mm-hmm. was the lunchroom talk. It was about SNL. But I, I was, like, way more into it than my friends. And I'd be on a sleepover and would 
like have to watch SNL. It was, and it was always the weirdest, worst episode. I would finally, <laughs> so that your friends would be like, come on, this is great. I'd finally convinced my friends to watch it. And it would be like a weird Tom Schiller film that made no sense. <laughs> right, like an eight-minute black and white. <laughs> totally. And then some other weirdo sketches that were over our head. And then like Phoebe Snow or some musical guest that was not, <laughs> was not with us. That was a, a curse, too. Anytime I got tried to get someone to watch SCTV, it would always be, like, the one clinker of that season. And what was the um, – why SCTV – like, why did you um, gravitate toward SCTV more than those? When other, I like- found SCTV, I guess all the things that I loved about sketch and loved about comedy, like about Python and, and, uh, and, and Saturday Night Live, somehow, I don't know, the SCTV guys just had a tone and mm-hmm. an attitude and a rhythm and a viewpoint and an approach that something happened in my brain. It was a chemical reaction happened. And I even remember the moment I was hanging out with some friends and you never, this is 1980, 81, never got to see bands on TV. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't never happen. I didn't know what Led Zeppelin looked like in concert. It just wasn't there. It was pre, right. way pre MTV and um, Rush comes on TV and everyone's flipping out, like, check it out. So everyone's watching Rush, and SCTV was on at the same time. And I had to choose. Wow. And, uh, and I was a kid. I, was, I don't know. I was 13 or whatever. And I, I, and I said, no, I'm making it. I'm throwing. I'm drawing a line in the sand. And I went and weaseled off into my friend's bedroom by myself and watched SCTV. And I remember the exact episode. It was, it was a dining with LaRue, with Johnny LaRue in a French restaurant. Just, be, just treating everybody like hell and being treated like shit back. <laughs> my son now loves that sketch. That's my son's favorite sketch. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I never thought, I never realized that until just this moment. That, that he's a little, yeah. Oh, he's definitely a mini-me. <laughs> There's no question about that. Um, so, yeah, and then it just became this crazy obsession to the point where I would, like, drive long distances to go to different um, libraries to look up in the periodicals what articles they had about SCTV, and I always kept a razor blade in my wallet, and I would... What? This is terrible. And I would what? cut out, and I would slice out of the periodicals. Wait, wait, wait. So you go to different libraries because there'd be more local papers? Is that why? No, my... the I had already exhausted all the libraries in Lake Worth and West Palm Beach. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thirsted for more, and I knew there was more articles out there. And I would travel to different... This li- is how pre-internet... <clears throat> Fanatics yeah. got their because now it's so easy. You, you go on one website, there are a million links to a million different things. It's yeah. so easy to be a fan. You were a true crazed fan, and I would take, and then I would try to get duplicates so I could cut the pictures out and hang them on my walls. They had a big spread in Life magazine, but it was front and back on the pages, so I had to go to two libraries to to thieve their thieve the pages out of life so I could make a giant poster. And would you still have any of those clippings? All of them. Wow. They're all in a box. Yeah, wow. That's <laughs> that's amazing and sad. <laughs> it was really pathetic. But I knew, I, I did know deep down, no one's going to be doing some serious dissertation on SCTV. Right. So I knew I wasn't like screwing up anybody's research. Right, sure, sure. And if it was someone else who was just as obsessed with SCTV as me, it was just tough titty. I got and there first. They'd find their way. They'd, if their fandom they was would find enough. a way. Yeah, I was so obsessed. I would just any new person that I met that I hadn't met before, I would randomly, gratuitously mention SCTV just like a worm on a hook. And if they were a fan, they would respond. 
uh-huh. because I was always looking for tapes, trying to get a hold of tapes of the show. Wow. It was this never-ending quest because it was so frustrating because the show was so rare. Did you find uh, other like-minded um, Yes, I did. Yeah. My tape collection is all these tapes that I got from various people over the years, just from being an, just an annoying person, <laughs> and bringing up something that no one cared about. But one out of a hundred would actually yield something. And here's another question, because when you watch this, I mean, so many of these people are like John Candy, um, Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. uh, Catherine O'Hara. I mean, they started being in, like in the 80s, just in everything. Like they were in like a ton of movies. Catherine started getting successful later. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, those guys all, yep, they did extremely well. Um, Martin Short later, mm-hmm. who was on the show. So like, what was it well. like for when you were a fan to see these people like go into the mainstream? Were you like psyched or were you? I really like- was. I got to say there was a certain validation. <laughs> Because my family had been just telling me how stupid and the show was and what a waste of time it was. <laughs> I think that just maybe added some fuel to the fire. The big one was Ghostbusters. When Ghostbusters came out, that was this certain validation. Because of uh, Ramis and Harold and uh, It was a mashup of half SCTV guys, half SNL guys. It was a huge hit. It was the biggest comedy blockbuster of the of 84. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it felt good. Uh-huh. You got your fi- your movie fixed. And it was a funny movie. I saw that movie a bunch of times. Oh, it's a classic. I still think... But Spinal Tap came out the same summer, and I was actually way more excited about This is Spinal Tap. Because you knew about it? Or, I mean... No, just because I thought it was... it was. I was way into rock, too. I was just uh-huh. obsessed with, with... I was a huge rocker. And it was, it was so good and so funny. And those... Even those worlds can sort of combined, too. The uh, Christopher A little Guest. bit, yeah. Like Lampoon. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and like Harry Shearer was like an SNLer, right? On and off. Yeah. Um, and one other thing that I noticed th- through the show, sort of, and this might get into the comedy nerd. I mean, as if this episode isn't a comedy nerd's um, this is delight. Very ex- uh, exclusively nerdy. <laughs> um, but there are elements that I, I have to say. I, I meant nerdy to the exclusion of any random listener. <laughs> but yes, yes. Um, that this sort of seems to have elements of like with the um running sketches and with the uh storylines it sort of feels like improv like a improvised herald or something a little a little bit like elements of characters coming back and meeting each other maybe that's just this episode and i don't know the show well enough to say that but would you say that this is like absolutely they always did heralds mm-hmm. <clears throat> sometimes the herald effect didn't work mm-hmm. it was just here's a whole bunch of great scenes or here's a bunch of okay scenes the first three episodes were you could see how they were really working so hard to make them Harold like. But explain briefly explain a Harold for somebody who never if there happens to be somebody who doesn't know. It's it. where there's a like there's a, a couple few scenes and then later on in the piece they revisit those scenes. So you see a scene, kinda of forget it ever happened, and then it comes back and when it comes back it's either a standalone thing or it gets dovetailed in with other scenes. Right. And then they connect up. Which they did really well in their first three scenes. The Girls of Vienna and Johnny LaRue was the first one. The second one was the Wara 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 show. And the third was the um, the, the racial insensitivity, the gypsy uh-huh. show. Uh-huh. And they it, they worked so hard. Just like early Mr. Show, the first few seasons of Mr. Show. All thematic. You could see how hard they worked to make those connections. Yes. And I think after the first three, the SCTV guys just were, I think they were too overworked. So sometimes it happened, sometimes mm-hmm. it didn't. 
But more often than not, you could see that's what they were going for. But there was also an overarching, all kinds of storylines and character development that happened through Sketch. And they didn't have the SNL paradigm of calling back characters at all. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when... when Debbie Downer comes back, you know she's going to be in the exact same structure. When Church Lady comes back, it's going to be the same structure. That's just the way they do it. Like, that was how that sketch goes. That's how it will always go. Right. With SCTV, it was always the characters at the core, but then they put the characters always in a new context. So when you see Bobby Bittman on screen, it's not like, oh, we know what he's going to do. You have no idea what he's going to do. He's mm-hmm. just going to be true to the character. There was a diff- another thing SCTV did that made me and my my acid head buddies <laughs> just freak out. And that's when they would do callbacks years later. There would be some small reference in one of the early, like season two, that they would call back. Fi- season four didn't happen until like five years right. later. That they would call back. And um, so we were pretty hopped up and convinced they were doing it to mess with our heads. <laughs> <laughs> Which they were, in, inadvertently or not. They, they really were. were. They took their time on the callbacks. It wasn't necessarily the end of the episode yet. It could be years later. Yeah, well, I was just impressed with, like, uh, within the one sketch that it was, like, seven minutes later. Yeah. With the, with the, and I was like, oh, that's that's pretty sweet. But <laughs> years later, I'd be like, what? <laughs> what, man? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it seemed to me that there's definitely, I mean, all these people came out of Second City doing improv and everything. So Except def- Rick, yeah. Um, what what was Rick's deal? Rick Moranis was the one sec- SCTV cast member that did not do Second City Theater. And how did they find it? Because they were so they were so shorthanded when the show got reignited by Doctor Allard that I mentioned earlier, and they needed to round out the cast, so they brought in Robin Duke, Tony Rosado from Second City, and Dave Thomas was buddies with Rick Moranis, who was uh, uh, who was a radio guy, mm-hmm. and then he created the Jerry Todd character, which was a video DJ. Which you said he basically invented. Pretty much. That. Jerry. The Jerry Todd show was the prototype for the VJ. He invented MTV. He in, yes. You heard it here. Yep. Uh, even if you read the book, I Want My MTV. Which you can't I just take that read, away from you. You can't take that. It's not, it's not true. Um, so wh- how was that show for you? Did it feel crusty? It was. It, it felt. It does not. I To me... A lot of the stuff doesn't hold up. And I didn't we hear t- a lot of laughter coming from no, your the, side I had, of the like, couch. There were, there were good moments. Like, there were really funny moments and yeah. funny characters. But because it's very character-based, a lot of the jokes didn't hit. You know, they weren't like... I feel like some of the jokes were strong, but some just wasn't... To me, didn't feel like hard, sharp writing. You know oh, what they I mean? could get through a whole 90-minute episode with almost no hard jokes. Yeah, exactly. Very moment, very much more moment-oriented. Um which so I mean like it was cool, but and as we were talking about when we we're watching, it's like my attention span is probably like eight a million times shorter than the average person in 1981. Wow, that episode is like 32 years old. Mm-hmm. So gosh, they made it in 81. So it's as old to you now as like me then watching Ernie Kovacs right. or, <laughs> yeah. or like the Jack Benny show. Or yeah, something. so it's like. But the Jack Benny show still holds up pretty good. I haven't. I have, I, I have it on, on Netflix. Come on, Rowan. I'll watch it. You haven't seen Jack Benny? I, I have it on Netflix. I'll watch it. I promise. You've seen Sid Caesar? I've seen clips of Sin, Sin Caesar. Sin, Sin Caesar. Caesar. Is it pronounced <laughs> Sin Caesar? It's Sin. It's, it's Sin. Sin Caesar. I've seen, I've seen some Sin Caesar stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I've got a big, fun. full, wall-size 
It's not a poster. It's that thing that's part of the wall of Imogene Coca's face. Wait. In my apartment. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean that thing that's part of the wall? Like it's, a, you ever seen a poster that's not like a poster? A fresco? It's, it's <laughs> not a fresco. <laughs> no, people, uh, uh, like, in, like in Stardust Memories, remember Woody Allen's got oh, a whole yeah, wall like that's got that guy yes. getting the Vietnamese Rain. man getting shot? <laughs> I so love horrible. That. Yes, it's like a print that's stuck on the whole wall. So the east no, wall. No, you don't really have this. The east wall in my kitchen is a huge mug of Imogene Coca making a goofball face <laughs> i am trying to i'm picturing in your home where the tapes are and where <laughs> the, the tapes are in the are. bedroom really because that's the that's the, the epicenter furthest away from the humidity uh-huh. that's coming from the kitchen and the shades are always drawn will you ever um put them on dvd yeah, I'm transferring all the tapes now. I still won't get rid of the tapes. Uh-huh. Then I'll just have too many tapes and too many discs. So you're going to have to have like a build a second wing. I've been I've been digitizing them and it's an incredibly long process. I don't think I'll finish that Wait, project. Wait, do you bring it to somebody? No, no, I have a Mac now. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't quite explain it to me. <laughs> oh, you have a Mac now? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I also have a Mac, but I'm not digitizing a ton of VHS. Tapes. No, I can transfer. I bought a device. Um, that's cool. I need to get one. I can't find any of my old family. Well, films. Eric Drysdale and I got put all of the final season. We put all got got all. I gave him the tapes, and he digitized the last season of SCTV. Is he a big SCTV? Hat? He's a huge SCTV fan, and he had never seen that final Cinemax season, which was a wonderful season. They were down to four people. Wow. It was just um, Joe Flaherty, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, and um, I think that's it, right? Marty, Joe, Andrea. Who am I leaving out? Oh, and Gene Levy, of course. Mm-hmm. But did you? I feel like you should be like that, like lead a fan site or something. Like, have you ever been involved in a fan? Like, when you were a kid, was there ever like a fan? I like, thought about thing? it. I remember when I was a kid seeing Rolling in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. They would have these little weird ads. Sure. And sometimes it was a fan club. Right. Ad. Right. I was so I was so poor though. I mean, my family wasn't poor poor, but any money I made went d- directly to all the wrong things, and I didn't use it for anything constructive <laughs> except buying. <laughs> videotapes and buying substances to help enhance me enjoying the videotapes. Right, which I wouldn't necessarily define as constructive, but... No, well, depends. I mean, it, that's true. I mean, I, to be fair, I watch tons of TV, and that's what basically I've based my life around. So I think expanding, expanding your consciousness is a form of construction, constructive activity. I agree. I agree with um, that. So I thought about that, but then when the internet rolled around, there was an SCTV news group. Mm-hmm. So I, I did join the news group, but I did not create it. And were you an active participant? or? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but I was past my... If the internet was around when I was at the height of my SCTV obsession, I would definitely have been a, a webmaster for an SCTV site. Um, what's it called? So when... I get just also because I don't have as much perspective about the show. Like we saw, but Bu- um, Doug and Bud, Bob and Doug McKenzie, Bo- Bob and Doug McKenzie, the Canadian hosers, the Canadian hosers. So that sort of also became like a phenomenon that mm-hmm. basically, um, like that became the representation of like what Canadians are to Americans, and sadly, yeah, and also became enough of a hit that they sort of like. I feel I, but something that I read um, 
said that they basically like Dave Thomas left the show because there, I guess there was a rift because they were getting more popular. They had a movie based on the characters. They left the show to do the movie. Okay. And that all got incorporated into the show. Bob and Doug were becoming a hit. They made their album and it did really well. Oh, they they made an actual comedy album. Oh, they had an Mm -hmm. album. Yeah. They did a parody of 12 days of Christmas, which got tons of airplay around Christmas time. And they had a hit single. It was like, they're literally saying, Oh, welcome to the hit single part of our album. But it was a hit. They did a song with Getty Lee called take off. Uh And, (laughs) and all the morning DJs played it and all the high school kids listened to it. And, um, that album did real well because of that. That whole thing, everybody knows it. Well, anyone who knows about SCTV knows this. But in Canada, they have these laws for Canadian content. You have to have a certain amount of Canadian content in a show. And they told the SCTV guys, you got to have your two minutes of Canadian content. So very sarcastically, they're like, what do you want us to do? Just like line up a couple of hicks and have them go like, how's it going, A, and drink beer and eat back bacon? And they said, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> and so in true SCTV form, they love – anytime they got any note or interference from the network or anyone else, their solution was to – whoever gave them the note, they would do an impression of them and in an unflattering way. So just as a couple of wise asses, they said, fine, we'll just put up a cup two Canadian Higgs and have them drink beer and back bacon and just talk about nothing, absolute nonsense. It was one of the only improvised pieces in the show. They always knew what they were going to do, but right. they didn't have proper scripts. They'd map it out. And then, amazingly, that became the hit of the show. And so, yeah, because, and so they were voted Citizens of the Year. They closed down Young Street in Toronto, which is their big street, and had a parade for Rick and Dave. Oh, my God. Which is crazy. And then they split from the show to do uh, their movie, Strange Brew, which is a, a pretty funny movie. Yeah, I haven't and seen it. It, it. it holds up. It's so silly and stupid. It's in, the, it's in its own little world, so it does hold up. And they got Max von Sydow to be the bad guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we were actually, we sort of talked about it, but I was saying that it sort of felt like the prototype for Wayne's World. That it was very much so. That it's sort of the local access, obviously different. But Mike Myers is Canadian too, so I think he mm-hmm. said he was, even though it was Chicago, it's supposed to be like a Canadian dude. Had to have been influenced like that. Except the uh, Wayne and Garth seem to be very fueled by like adolescent juices. Yes. Whereas Bob and Doug are these like andro- sexless creatures. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? Right. <laughs> There's a tiny, tiny love interest in the movie Strange Brew, but the girl's not interested in either one of them. She's interested in the insane hockey player from the asylum. <laughs> of course. That's, uh, <laughs> now I just pictured the entire movie in my head. <laughs> um, and now, isn't, I don't know, did Rick Moranis is, he doesn't, he's not in anything anymore ever. I think it was... There... He retired from the business. Wow, that's so sad. No, he did a, um, well, he made his millions. He made a bunch of millions. Lost his wife. Uh, she passed away. And he was left with two kids to raise. What do you do? You'd and dr- yeah. he never wanted to be an actor. He always wanted to be a writer. He set out to be a writer. He fell into acting. And after he did Honey, I Shrunk the... Whatever. Honey, I, I Shrunk the Cheese Tray. He, they shrunk <laughs> the, everything. The Cheese Tray? <laughs> cheese Tray was all I could come up with. <laughs> that was the fourth. Honey, yeah. It was the ninth. I saw... I remember seeing... I was a kid when the first one came out. Loved it. Yeah, I wasn't that. I was enthused because one of the SCTV guys had a big part, had a, but I wasn't psyched about that movie at all. I was psyched about Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yes. Well, yeah. it was, it, I don't think it's great now. I think it's good now. I loved that Rick um, was Seymour. 
So yeah, he kind of dropped out, but then he made an album. He made an album, yeah, the like agoraphobic, huh? Bluegrass album or a comedy album? No, a comedy album. Oh really? But it was it had a country bent. Okay, it was called the Agoraphobic Cowboy. It came out a while ago. A but he years. went out. He did the circuit. He did the talk shows and sang a couple songs. And at the time, and to plug his album, he went on the SCTV News Group, and I invited him to UCB to come do a show. Did he respond? He did. He politely declined. He said he had so many other bridges to rebuild before mm-hmm. he would do something like that. But he knew about SCTV, and he right. was gracious about it. Um, have you ever met any of the SCTV stars? All of them. Really? Except Rick and John. Wow. So, and well, what, what was one of the... The first one I ever met was Catherine O'Hara because I stalked her. No. I did. How did you stalk her? Just because she was hosting SNL. So I hung around 30 Rock the entire day. Wait, what year is this? Oh, gosh, 92 or something okay. like that. 92, 93. So she was probably hot off of Home Alone. Maybe. it may. Wait, Home Alone? Yeah. That was 91. 92. I suppose so. Yep. She hosted in the early 90s. And I just hung around 30 Rock. But I was out by the skating rink where no one enters. I, that's where I always entered mm-hmm. because I was a kid from Florida. Right. I must have been 24 or something, maybe 25. And then I thought, oh, wait, there's that other entrance over there. And I just roamed over there for the hell of it. And she happened to be walking through the door right then. So I just said my speech. I had my speech prepared, and I said it really fast. Uh-huh. I think I rushed it. I was just like, hi, my name is Michael Delaney. I'm a really big fan of it. And I rushed through it. And what I wasn't prepared for was her to ask me a question. She was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> And she had written me a letter because I wrote... I wasn't a big letter writer. I only wrote about three fan letters in my whole life. And she was such a sweetheart. She wrote back. Wow. So I met Catherine. But then I went to the Aspen Comedy Festival in 98, maybe, with the two Andes. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be the year they had the SCTV reunion, which was Conan was the host. And we were all doing Conan bits by then. So we got in. and We got to get in, no problem. And then after they were done, every, all the audience left, and we just went up on stage and just mingled about with the press. That's amazing. So I got to meet all those guys, and everybody was super cool. That's great. I have a great picture of Andrew Secunda giving Harold Ramis one of the two Andes caps that they had made. Like People would make <laughs> swag to give out to promote their shows. Right. And it's this great picture of Ramis looking at this hat like, what the fuck am I going to do with this thing? That was stuck holding <laughs> Yet, I believe that hat's been in every movie he's directed He's since. worn it since. <laughs> yeah. I think he was just cold. I don't think it was a tribute to the Andes. Hey, you never know, man. Any advertisement's good advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds amazing to see them all, to like to meet them later on in your life. It was great. And that, that, that thing they did, that symposium they did at Aspen is on the SCTV DVD extras. And can you hear yourself heavily breathing in the audience? I passed out at one point. I fainted. <laughs> and you can hear like a like a kong, like the head, sound of a head hitting an aluminum chair. <laughs> and every and on stage, they all look over like, what was that? And then they just go they back just to what going. they were doing. I recorded it myself on a micro cassette recorder. Did you really? You remember those micro cassettes? Yes. I had one of those rolling. <clears throat> so I have an extremely low quality. That's so great. Record of it, which I don't need because it's on the DVD. But you'll keep it. Of course. <laughs> what else is going to c- gather the dust in my house? Well, tons of things apparently. My wife hates those videotapes. Does she? Has she? Is she, she ever threatened so bad? Threatened to get rid of them? Not really, because she knows that would. That's like something that can't be done. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't have. 
We have my dad's old Mad magazines. Those are like one thing that I'll ever, I'll always. But I can't find when, that's the best. Yeah, they're great. For all from the six. Well, my dad was Love really, them. really smart because what he did was when we were kids, he gave us tons of his Mad magazines from the sixties. What he didn't tell us was there was another box with the other ones because he thought we'd rip them to shreds. He was and right. we did. I mean, because yeah. the paper is so br- you know it's sure. crappy newspaper paper. Yeah. So they're all like ripped to shreds. Um. And there's a whole nother box of like mint, you know, or not mint, mint, Ooh, but like that's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty great. I loved Mad so much. May I think there's some. It's just something about parody that I love. And SCTV took parody to this next level, and they really set the bar. And then after them, Ben Stiller and SNL and a lot of people started doing these really tight parodies from that SCTV style. Stuff like um, Martin Short's um, Scenes from an Idiot's Marriage, which is this Bergman movie, mm-hmm. like Scenes from a Marriage, but it's Jerry Lewis in there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the, especially in that last season when the production value just got better and better, some of the parodies were just incredibly tight. And um, it really did set the bar. And it was the it was those Mort Drucker parodies that did it for me so much in yes. Mad Magazine. Yeah. They were just the best. Yeah, so good. And it's like even as a kid, I mean, I was literally reading ones from like 30 years before mm-hmm. that. I didn't, hadn't seen any of the movies, didn't get, I'd say like 50% to more of the references. And I still like loved all of them. Loved them. There's some of, the Bummer of 42 was a favorite of mine. Um. Based on the summer of forty two. I, I, I Craig, have you seen the summer of forty two? They should have called it the Blech of forty two. Ble- <laughs> <laughs> That's like Blech is I such love, a fallback for them. I know. I love all the They did one called the Crock of Shit Now. But they did a bleep on top of the uh, shit. But it was still that that's was pretty, pretty good. Title. That's pretty great. That's, that's vintage mad. Good. Um yeah, like blunder, blech, like yuck. yeah. Like all of those words just like you can name any movie and it's pretty easy to to throw me a movie and I'll guess what they would do. Um, the year of living dangerously. Um, the year. Uh, oh, that's so hard. The black of living. <laughs> yeah, the black black of living. Um, uh, disgustingly. That's that's a good one. The black. Of- so when I when you ask me to name a random movie, yes, I automatically go to like nineteen eighty some obscure Linda <laughs> some obscure, Hunt movie. Yeah, like there that would never be parody. <laughs> Why did, where did that come from? I don't know. You're you're oh, very man. very specific brain. I'll ask you this. Um you are sort of the the guru of at the UCB theater, I'd say. I don't know if you're comfortable with that word. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. Um but with improv, but do you feel like SCT like how would you say that do you still think of SCTV as like an inspiration does that you feel like this is one of the things that really ushered you into following comedy and exploring that world absolutely I don't think about the show as much I mean I used to wake up and fall asleep thinking about Mm -hmm. that show pretty stupid and then I stayed obsessed with it for a long long time I think well all the way through my 20s up maybe to my early 30s not as much right. I was still watching it for pleasure I don't watch it anymore it's so hardwired in there and I don't think about it but I mean there's no question about it because uh, I was so obsessed with it and that I didn't know it was a theater I didn't know anything about that oh really no no one knew this I was like the only person me and my couple buddies were the only people who even that I knew that watched the show Conan's talked about this, and other people have talked about this. SCTV was so obscure, it was on so late, that you felt like it was your show. 
Because who, whoever were the big fans, you're probably, you and one other person were probably the only people you knew who watched the show. And then when they did do callbacks from three years ago, you were probably one of about 50 people who got it, period, of all the people watching it over North America. And it made, it, 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 it made you feel personally connected to the show. Now, and then when I found out it was a theater, I was like, what? What's that about? And all of a sudden, this, this, I, I just learned there was a second city theater. I didn't know much about it. And it was still very confusing. And it, there just wasn't enough material around for me to find out about it. I guess mm-hmm. I could have researched. And then one of the touring companies came to West Palm Beach when I was still a very young man. I was old enough to drink, I think. So I'm, I don't think I had a fake ID. And it was a really good cast. Do you remember the cast? Absolutely, of course. Well, they came one year, and um, they just did a couple of shows and went away, and I was really impressed. But then they came the second year and did the Comedy Corner, which was not a proper theater, and there wasn't really proper dressing rooms. So when they were done with the show, everybody was just mingling about. And so I accosted those guys. They were doing the Comedy Corner for a whole week. So naturally, I went to every show. It was Dave Pasquese, Joel Murray, Bill Murray's brother, Uh, Mark Beltzman, who's a successful uh, um, comedian, he's a, kind of a heavy set guy. Cindy Caponara was in there, a girl named Holly Wartell, a guy named Tim O'Malley. Dan Gilligley was the pianist. And I pestered those guys so badly, so badly. And I got to party with them for like that entire week. My girlfriend drove us around. I got them... I, I introduced them to my connection, uh-huh. so everybody was well stocked with whatever materials they needed to really enjoy themselves. And I was an absolute pest. I'm still embarrassed to this day. They started calling me super fan because I had done so much research. I knew like all the producers of the show, and I like I was finding out about Second City Theater at the time. And when you're that age and you're just rabidly into something, you remember everything. And they thought I was pretty spooky. Um, and then I remember years later at the marathon, Bill, uh, um, Joel Murray and Dave Pasquese showed up to one of the first Del Close marathons. And I walked up and I was like, oh, hey, you guys, it's good to see you. And right in front of my face, one of them goes, I think it's super fan. They goes, shit, it is super fan. And they go, frightening. Both of them go, frightening. And just walked away as if I wasn't there. That's <laughs> they were just hilarious. Looking at me from afar. <clears throat> And I really did get in their business way to just ask every question, any personal question I wanted, because I was just kind of a dumb kid. I thought I was so worldly, but I wasn't at all. And when they, before they left town, I stole their Second City poster off the wall, and I had them all sign it. And Joel Murray wrote, just do it. And he kept telling me, like, you got to do this stuff. I never wanted to be a performer. All that time I was obsessed by SCTV and running around pestering people, asking strangers if they've heard of SCTV and if they have any videotapes of it that I could <laughs> borrow. I had no designs to be in comedy or in show business whatsoever. I was a very self-conscious person. And I was in tech school for video, and, I, and everybody had to go on camera. We had to be crew and talent. I was the one guy in the class that just would not do it. I directed a ton of stuff there. I wouldn't be in any of it, would not appear on camera. No way, no how. Wouldn't go on a stage, none of that. And I didn't realize it, but Joel Murray kept talking to me saying, you should try this stuff, you should try this stuff. And I was completely dismissive about it because it wasn't part of that reality for me. I was just strictly a fan. I was an admirer and a fan, and that was it. And when Joel signed my post, everybody wrote a little nice something on the poster. And Joel Murray wrote, just do it. And that was on my wall, and I thought about it. And then um, 
a couple of years later, I did end up doing college theater and then started an improv group and that was it. So I think that little Torco group had something to do with me getting in this as a profession. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a little, it seems almost somehow predestined, but everything seems predestined when you look back. Right, true. It's all random. But it's also funny, the guy that said just do it also said to your face that you're frightening. Oh, definitely. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Well, as soon as I became old enough to drive a car on my own, I convinced my mom to let me take her Cadillac to Toronto, to the original second city. Oh, really? And I drove straight from uh, Lake Worth, Florida to Toronto. Watched the review seven nights in Did a row. by yourself? No, no. I picked up my friend Nikki Katsimpoulos in Boston. <laughs> I've heard of Nikki so, Katsimpoulos. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Nikki went up, watched the review seven nights in a row, and then I drove back home. I did the same tour the next year, but I did Toronto and London, Ontario, and then Chicago. Because so, there was a farm cast in London. Wow. So I did the trifecta. Wow, that's amazing. I got to say, at the time, the Toronto cast was by far the strongest. Really? The second year they had Mike Myers, I wasn't crazy about him. They had a guy named Dana Anderson who I thought was the funniest one of does all. Does he still do comedy? He's just a Canadian guy. Yeah, he still does comedy, but he's like a, a true Canadian. Wow. He stayed up there. Well, I have to ask now that because you, I mean, as I said, but you are like a mainstay of the theater here at in UCB New York. Has have what do you when their super fans come up to you yeah do you, how do you respond to that i try to be as kind as i can yeah and when they're really frightening i don't say it right to their face <laughs> wait a minute yes i do oh well i'll i'll go i think the thing to do is to go over overcompensate mm-hmm. so instead of like thinking you're scary I'm like, hey, you're going to stab someone someday. No, I won't <laughs> say that. But it's okay because I, I, I think it's, it puts that person in a place of honor. If they're like a complete weirdo and you call them out on it in front of the entire class and just relentlessly make fun of them, it makes them feel good. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I remember the first time Conan completely blasted me in the hallway. I, did, I dropped a piece of paper. Like Conan was walking through the hall and I just dropped something. And he turned on me he turned on his heel and just laid into me and i felt so good i remember leaving the studio that day feeling really good that's hilarious because you know it's a bit but with those weird students they know that they're a freak show and when you call them on it in a funny way it does make them feel good and then they feel okay about owning their freakishness because that was the thing i was self-conscious about all this stuff and not until i started really hanging out with comedians did i realize you got to call it. You got to own it. Yes. Whatever your biggest flaw is, don't try to conceal it. I spent my whole life trying to mask everything and trying to conceal all the embarrassing things about myself. And then I started doing long form and saw people trying to bring those embarrassing things about themselves to the forefront. And that's what art is about. It's about getting to your vulnerabilities. I mean, that's, that's where the good stuff lives, where the joy and the pain are right next door to each other. It just sucks that I was like 33 by the time I figured that stuff out. Well, it's better better late than never. That's the story of my life. No, it's not. I just <laughs> said that. I thought that would sound good. It's just not even true. The story of my life. I'm just kidding. It's totally not. <laughs> um, well, Delaney, thank you so much. Thank you. I, and, I, and, and thank you. And, and I just want to say Merry yeah. Christmas. And Happy Hanukkah. And I hope you're able to rise out of this this place that you're in mm-hmm. and and lift yourself up to the level of those who who can enjoy who can the en- warmth of christmas who believe in the 
correct path. Is that what you're trying to say? I thought you were going to say believe in Christ. <laughs> yes. Because well, that's not a necessity. The Christmas <laughs> spirit doesn't have anything to do with Jesus anymore. Okay. Then I, then I have the Christmas spirit. I think I have it. I mean, no one believes. Wait, I mean, you just wait, said, wait, 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 no one ready. People what? believe that as much as me saying "better late than never" is the story of my <laughs> okay, life. Okay, how about this? Wait, you're right. I think I do have the Christmas spirit. It was the haltingness that sold me on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> thank you, thank you for showing me. Thank you for showing me I had it in me. Thank John Candy. Thank you, John. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lenny. Thanks, Craig. Good evening. I'm Orson Welles. And speaking for mankind, I wish you the merriest Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you so much for listening. A quick announcement buried at the very end of this episode. You can now listen to It's That Episode on Sirius XM Radio on Channel 406 UCB Radio every Friday night at 6 p.m. So check me out there and have a great night and an early manana. Adios, amigos.